Well, good morning, FCC Church. Good morning. Oh, that was, was pretty good. Let's try it again. Good morning, FCC Church. Good morning. Awesome. Welcome to another wonderful and sunny Sunday morning here at FCC. Could you please stand up and worship along with us? Lord most high, the Lord most high. 
2 Samuel chapter 7. So now say this is to my servant David. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has said. I took you from the pasture and from your work as a shepherd to make you leader of my people Israel. Amen to that. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for these, these people. Uh, thank you for this church. Thank you for this community. God, thank you for this, this country that we have the freedom to say we love you without fear of uh, coming after us and, and hurting us. Lord, I ask you to, to help us with this time that we have. Allow us to glorify you and lift you up without our distractions and worries. Uh, Lord, allow us to, to put the stuff away that we don't need to focus on, and it's all about you. Thank you for loving us. Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. I'm glad you're here. Um, I, I know I'm not the only one, but mornings like this, when it's not too cold, not too hot, it's, it's so easy to find a million different reasons not to be at church. Stay in bed, go out, read a book, whatever, whatever it is. There are so many things that I, I know is tempting to make us not come. So the fact that you are here today worshiping, I appreciate that. Hey, if you're watching online, I noticed you have not braved the, the heat outside. So, well, way to go for you. Um, but either way, we're, gl we're glad you're watching us. Uh, sometime during the service, will you take a moment for your connection card? Hey, if you're watching online, uh, it really means a lot that we know that you're with us, we know that you're here, uh, we, we appreciate it. Otherwise, I, I know we came to worship together, but let's just take a, a quick minute or two and, and say some hellos to people.
Everybody has trials and temptations. Everybody knows heartbreak, isolation. But we can lay our burdens down. Lay our burdens. Lay our burdens down. What a friend we have in Jesus. He's to west my sins are gone. I see grace on every horizon. And forever and ever his heart is my home. Everybody has fear. Everybody got worries. Everybody knows sorrow, devastation. But we can lay our burdens down. Lay our burdens. Lay our burdens down. What a friend we have in Jesus, east to west, my sins are gone. I see grace on every horizon, and forever and ever, His heart is my home. No more betrayal, for He is faithful. He fills me up and my cup runneth over. No for he is faithful, how he has proven it over and over. No more betrayal, for he is faithful, he fills me up and my cup runneth over. No more betrayal, for he is faithful, how he has proven over and over, over. I see grace on every horizon And forever and ever His heart is my home What a friend we have in Jesus East to west my sins are gone I see grace on every horizon Revelation 22:12. Look, I'm coming soon, and my reward is with me to pay each one according to what he has done.
nation, all of the earth. Make straight a highway, path for the Lord. Jesus is coming soon. Call back the sinner, wake up the saint. Let every nation shout of your fame. Jesus is coming soon. Like a bride waiting for her groom, we'll be at church ready for you. Every heart longing for All will be new, your name forever, faithful and true. Jesus is coming soon. No, like a bride waiting for her groom, we'll be a church ready for you.
even so come, Lord Jesus, come. John fourteen six, Jesus replied, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Through every battle, through every heartbreak, through every circumstance, I believe that you are my fortress. You are my portion, you are my hiding place. Oh, I believe you are the way, the truth, the life. I believe you are the way, the truth, the life. Every promise, every breath I take, I believe that you are provider, you are protector, you are the one I love. I believe you are the way, the truth, the life. It's a new horizon, and I'm set on you, and you meet me here today with mercies that are new. All my fears and doubts, they can all come to, because they can't stay long when I'm here with you. On a new horizon, and I'm set on you. And you meet me here today with mercies that are new. All my fears and doubts, they can all come true because they can't stay long. I believe you are the way, the truth, the life. I believe you are. Truth, the lie, I believe you are. It's a new horizon, and I'm set on you. And you meet me here today with mercies that are new. All my fears and doubts, they can all come to because.
because they can't stay long I believe you are the way the truth the life I believe you are the way the truth the life I believe morning. Hey, let, let me ask a question to you, and you can't answer out loud because well, I can't hear you anyways. So answer inside your head. Uh, this is now week number seven. If you've been with us with this core 52 project we've been going through, dealing with 52 of the most popular passages that are preached on in, in most churches, let me ask you to answer inside your head. How do you feel so far? Do you love it? Do you hate it? Is it okay? Is it meh? Just what do you think? Tell yourself that. How are you feeling about the, the, the group so far? Is it good, bad? Would you do it again? Would you recommend to another church? Would you say never do this again in any church? It was awful. I just want you to think of that. Um, last week, Jeff came in and we were, we were talking and he was asking you know, my opinion on, on what do we think, you know, how do you think Core 52 is going? And, and I told him this and I'll tell you the same thing. And I said, it seems to me that the weeks that I like the most, the weeks that I find the most out of the, the passages that we're going through and the memory work that we're doing and the things that we're studying, I said, it seems like the weeks that I spend the most time throughout the week actually looking at it or thinking about it or reading the, the book and thinking about the memory work are the weeks that I like the best. And the weeks that I invest the least amount of times are the weeks that I find that I just think they're kind of blah. So maybe here's a little guilt for you, just a little bit. If, if you're saying to yourself, I, I absolutely do not like this core 52 we're going through, I'm going to say maybe, just maybe, if you put more into it, you might like it more. But I'm not going to, won't, I won't swear upon that, but I'm just saying, maybe a little guilt. Maybe. Hey, we're going to be in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, and today we're going we're gonna to turn just a little bit, not a lot, so we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. I'll, I'll let you get there. And we're going to read this again later, so don't, don't completely lose your spot. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. I'll give you just a second. All right. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees, 
Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. That passage here, now if, if, you're, if you've spent any time in Scripture, you know this, so this is a, re, a review for you, but let me, let me review anyways just in case, because context, context, context. The reason this passage was coming up was this was the anointing of King David. Samuel, the prophet, was getting ready to go anoint the new king of, of Israel, and this is a, a discussion of what was going on with the first king, Saul. And so if, if we look at this passage, this passage doesn't really hit as hard without knowing why this was said the way it was said. So the best thing that we can do is back up, and we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 8. And we're going to be in chapter 8, verse 4. And I'm going to be honest, this passage kind of makes me giggle. Some of the things that are said here uh, makes me incredibly happy. So if I, if I chuckle halfway through, you know why, I've warned you. But I love this, this passage. This is leading up to what we're, we're studying at 1 Samuel 16. It says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramoth and said to him, I love this part, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. I love that passage. I don't know what, it, it just amuses me to no end. The leaders of the nation get together, they go to the prophet of God, the one that, they can, that speaks for God, and they look at him and say, you're old. I just want to stop right there, I just want to go home. That makes me so happy. It makes me so happy that here's this, this powerful individual who's in commune with God, and they look at him and say, you're old, like it's no big deal. But then the next part says, and your sons don't walk in your ways. And I'm going I'm to tell you, this, this piece right here, I'm, I'm going to paraphrase just a hair of what's going on, because it's, it's a lot of scripture. What was going on was the leaders of the nation at that time went to the prophet of God and said, we want a king over us. And when Samuel heard this, he wasn't, he wasn't excited, and he responded in these next few verses, and I'll paraphrase, you can read it when you get home, and, and correct me if I said anything wrong, but I don't think so. And he said, if you have a king, he is going to take your sons, and he's going to make them fight for him. He said, if you have a king, he's going to take your daughters and make them serve in his household. He said, if you have a king, he's going to take part of your crops and part of your animals as, as tax for his kingdom. He said he is going to take his, his rights as a king over you. And then they come down in verse 20. This is what they said after Samuel had warned him. He warned him. He said, if you have a king, this is going to happen. And he said this in verse 20. I'm sorry, 19. He said, no, we want a king over us. Then we will be like all the other nations with the king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. When Samuel heard all that the people said, he repeated it before the Lord. The Lord answered to him, answered, listen to them and give them a king. I mean, I look at that passage and what this does is this leads us to our very first, our very first point. And it's, it's an unusual way to phrase this, but you got to get past yourself. See, this, what they were looking for was, was not necessarily this, this idea of a king. What they were, were honestly looking for was the rejection of their current king. And their current king was God. So it wasn't necessarily saying, we want a king to go out before us. What they were doing was, was just rejecting God. And I had to ask myself, and, and maybe we should ask this as a group, how in the world would this have made God feel? 
God being God and doing all the things that God had done up to this point for these people, and then to turn around and say, no, we want a king like our neighbors. Man, that's, that is so incredibly hurtful. They rejected God. That's, that's, there's no other way around it. They said, what you're doing for us is not good enough. We want what they have. And what's really funny is the way they phrased it. They said, then we will be like all the other nations with the king to lead us and to go out before us and fight our battles. I don't, I don't know if you're aware of this. Historically speaking, when two nations went to war, the king was not in the front. The king was like 40 or 50 rows back where he was safe from any possible injury. And what they're doing is, is telling the king that they had, their God, you're not good enough for us, even though it was this king, it was this God who wiped out the entire Egyptian army without anyone in Israel being harmed. Man, getting, you got to get past yourselves. All this nation could do is, is see what they wanted, see what, what they thought, see what they needed. All they saw was the things that they wanted. They saw what their neighbors had, and they said, that, that's what we want. Luckily, Luckily, First Christian Church, we never do that, right? I am glad none of us here have any narcissistic tendencies in our body. I'm so glad no one here would hurt someone else to pursue something they wanted. I am really glad no one here would ever do that. I am really, really thankful that we have no one here that would ever overlook someone else to gain what they wanted. Thank you, family, for being borderline saints along with me. I'm going to share something with you, and, and some of you will know, and some of you won't. Um, but it was it was years ago, and a movie came out, and there was there was a song that was sang, and I'm going to sing just part of the words, and if you know it, you can hum along with me because this is important to me. And it goes, "Gooses, geeses, I want my geese to lay golden eggs for Easter, at least a hundred a day, and by the way, I want a feast, I want a bean feast." Cream buns and donuts and fruitcakes with no nuts. So good you go nuts now. And if I don't get the things that I'm after, I'm going to scream. And that is the scene from that old movie, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, when Veruca Salt is in the factory and she sees those geese laying golden eggs. I'm going to be honest with you, family. If you ever look at me and I'm saying gooses, geeses that's where it's from and if i'm ever saying gooses geeses and you'll see me i don't usually say it out loud i, I just mouth the words it's because i think someone around me is being a spoiled rotten brat and that always comes to mind so if i ever sit in a meeting and, and someone's kind of rallying and they're, they're wanting to smash over everybody else to get what they want and you see me mouthing those words that's where this is from it's from Veruca Salt being spoiled rotten, and luckily, family, no churches ever do that. We never, never get so selfish that we pursue whatever we want to any means necessary. That means hurting people to get what we want. Luckily, that never happens. I do this frequently at weddings. There's usually a person or two at a wedding and they'll, they'll start making some demands, but not demands, they're yelling to everybody. And you'll, you'll see me go, gooses, geeses, over on the side somewhere. 
because they're being spoiled. And, and honestly, you know, we do this at church all the time. All the time. We get in our mind that we want something, that we need something, that we have to have something, something our neighbors have, something that our neighbors are doing, and we, and we need it so bad that it doesn't matter how we get it, it doesn't matter who we hurt, we're going to get it. We want it now. And if I don't get it, I'm going to scream. Oftentimes we're Veruca Salts. And that's, this passage is talking about this. This passage in chapter 16, verse 7, when he's, he's getting ready to anoint David, this is that passage this is what it's, it's leading up to. They wanted a king so bad. And here's where it gets interesting. We're going to do a little more. Let's go this time to 1 Samuel chapter 12. And I want to clarify something as we, as we jump into the second part. Now, a lot of people will look at the anointing of David and they'll say, okay, that's King David, the second king of Israel. And they'll say, God chose Saul as the first king. And there's a problem with that. And in chapter 12, verse 13, this is addressed. And you have to look at these words to understand. Verse 13, chapter 12. And it says, And now behold, the king whom you have chosen. That is, Samuel saying, Saul is the king you chose. So when we look at that, it brings us to our second part. You need to be very careful what you look for. See, it wasn't, it wasn't God choosing Saul. Sometimes we want to think that because he was anointed by a prophet, but it, it wasn't that at all. And, and if we do a little, little page turning, I, I know some of you are really struggling with this and you want to uh, discuss this, so you're welcome. We're going to discuss it. This has been on your minds. It's in chapter 9. It's going to start in verse 1, and I, I know it's really been harping on you, so let's address this. Chapter 9, verse 1, this says, we're going to skip those. I can't say those words. We're going to start in verse 2, and it said, And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. That is the description of Saul. And I, I know this has been bothering a lot of you. We need to talk about it. How did Saul get to be titled the most handsome man in all of Israel? Was there an election? Like, did they, did they vote? Was, was there like a Mr. Universe there at that point in time? And they all lined up and, and they got themselves looking good. Who voted? Did, did Samuel? Did Samuel say he's the most handsome man? I think I need to say in this. Did God declare that he was the most handsome man? And, and I'm going to be honest, family. If, if God said Saul is the most handsome man, is it the most handsome man ever? Or was it the handsomest man at that point in time? And then my next question is, I gotta make my own opinion. I'm sorry, when I get to heaven, I gotta see Saul. I, I, gotta, I gotta weigh in on this most handsome man. So I know this has been weighing on your hearts and minds a lot, family. How is he, how is he ranked the most handsome man? And there's no answer to that. But here's the problem. You ready for it? Be careful what you look for. See, we don't know a lot of, of Saul's history in scripture, except for the fact that he was very good looking and he was very tall and he came from a wealthy family. So what comes next, and, and you can't email me and say this is not scripture because you are right. There is a group of people, and they're often referred to as sages. They are Jewish historians who write stuff, and this is something they wrote about this man Saul because really what we know about Saul, he was tall, he was good looking, and once he became king, there were some problems. We know that. But this is what others have wrote about Saul, and, and let, me, let me point this out. You ready? 
Some of the historians, based on oral traditions, believe that Saul was a great person, and many of them actually think he was better than David. Even before he became king, Saul was a national hero. He led the daring raid to rescue the tablet of the Ten Commandments from the Philistines, who had captured them along with the ark. After he became king in his two short, two and a half year reign, he freed the Jewish people of all of their enemies except for the Philistines. It remained for David to ultimately triumph over the Philistines and destroy them, but the army that Saul built laid the foundation for David to do that. Saul was charismatic. He was physically gifted. We see that. He was charitable and selfless. selfless. Tradition records that he gave his fortune away to poor people. He specialized in helping pay for the needs of poor brides-to-be. When he went to war, he paid the soldiers out of his own personal treasury, not public funds. Saul also was a great definition of self-sacrifice. He went to war with the Philistines after he had heard the prophecy that he and his sons would be killed. He still went to war. A lesser person would have ran away, not Saul. His loyalty and self-sacrifice for the Jewish people knew no bounds. Saul supported and enhanced the school system that Samuel established. During his time, the level of education among the children reached a high point. The problem is, is we take this great man that all of the nation looked at him and said, he is the one we want to be king. And it leads us to a very serious problem. We need to be careful for what we look for. We need to be careful for what we look for because all, on the, all in all, looking at Saul, he would have been a great candidate for king. He was already fighting. He was already leading. He was already self-sacrificing. He was already strong. He was already powerful. To almost anyone looking in, they would have said, that man is a great choice to be king. Man. And it was this desire, it was this desire to have someone strong that their neighbors would look at and say, oh, that's a powerful king. It was this desire to have what they thought they wanted that led to all the problems. They chose a king who failed to follow God's commands. When God said, wipe them all out, he did not wipe out all the Amalekites. When they said, we want Saul as our, as our king, it was Saul who got jealous of a young man who was more famous than him. And instead of leading the nation like he was supposed to do, he was chasing this young man through the hills in the wilderness trying to kill him. There was this huge battle with the Philistines when the armies lined up. Saul panics. He gets desperate. He's afraid. So what does he do? He goes and finds a witch. He asks the witch to get a hold of the spirit of Samuel, who had passed away by now, to find out information. See, they, they wanted all this. They thought it was the exact thing they wanted. And we do the same thing all the time. I don't, I don't know how many times, in, in all honesty, I don't know how many times someone said, Jerry, you, you got to pray for this lottery winning. Jerry, you got to pray. I bought a lottery ticket. I got to win. And I, I, inside I go, first of all, if I'm praying for anyone to win the lottery, it's not you. It's this guy. It's this guy. I'm just joking. Just joking. Kind of. And there are story after story where someone thought that 
that all they had to do was win the lottery and everything would be good. And there are story after story who someone had a fairly average life, not too high, not too low, and, and they came across an, an enormous amount of money and everything went south. Family split, marriages split, kids aren't talking to parents, parents aren't talking to their parents. The whole thing decimated because the person thought that if, if they just got this winning, everything would be good. Everything would be smooth sailing from now on. No more stress, and it didn't work that way. They were looking for something that did not work out for them. See, they had their, their eye on something that it, it just simply wasn't what they needed, and it's very similar to what the Israel people, the people of Israel were doing with Saul. They thought that it was the picture-perfect thing they needed. They wanted, they had to have this king, and it wasn't there. I had, I had a buddy who used to work in a casino, and he used to always tell me these stories, and, and one story uh, always stood out. He said there was this player, and I didn't know this, he said, but he was a Diamond Club member. And apparently when you're in a casino, the, the more you gamble, you go up this tier system of rewards and, and how well they treat you. And apparently the, the diamond gamblers of this casino was, was the highest gamblers. They, they spent the most money at the casino, so they got the most buffets and the, the best you know, hotel rooms comps. So he played a lot, and he said, uh, one day he was there, and he was on my shift, and the man was, was playing the slot machines like usual. He said he, he dropped the machine, he, he pulled the, the handle down, and he said, it was the largest winning I've ever paid out in the casino. He said, it was, it was so large, he either had to get his boss or the boss's boss above him to actually do the payout because it was such a large winning in this, in this slot machine. And he said, and he, he told me this, and I can't do the exact phrasing of him because there was some more colorful language. And he said, that man didn't ask for the, the cash out or the check to be taken out. He wanted it put back in his account. And he said, that man sat there the entire time, he never left the machine again and dropped every single cent right back in the machine. And he said, I have never seen anyone walk out of a casino looking so sad in my entire life. So he, this man who thought that if I win it big, everything's better, and he did win it big, and instead of saying, oh, my life is going to change, he just dropped it right back in. And I thought to myself, that's us. How many times are we pursuing something we think we want, we think we need, and we think that if we get it, everything is going to be perfect, and when we get it, we go, ooh, we didn't want this. Oh, we didn't want this. And that's this passage in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, when God is talking to people, his people, and he's saying, don't look on the outside. That's what, that's what people see. God looks on the inside and sees what what's in the heart. That passage is all about the fact that this, this nation of God's children, first of all, couldn't see past their own wants and needs, and what they wanted and needed was not what they wanted and needed. And, and we do that all the time. I can sit up here and talk for hours about people spending their entire lives pursuing something that they thought they had to have and when they caught it they didn't want it when they obtained it they looked back and said this is this is not what i needed and that's what happens and that's what first samuel chapter 16 verse 7 is a reminder of you need to be careful what you look for all right this time we're going to finish up but this time we're going to go back in, in chapter 16 and this is our this is our memory verse of the week and once we're done you can close your bibles But the Lord said to Samuel, 
Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. We're going we're gonna, to we close your Bibles there, and it leads us to the, our very last point. And that's, that's very simply looking for potential. Let me ask a question again. Please don't answer out loud because I, I can't hear you. So l- let me ask you, why are you here today? Or if you're watching online, why are you watching today? Man, the weather's great. There's, there's a bunch of other things you can be doing. So let me ask you, and usually most people fall within a couple of categories. Usually they're, they're either here because someone wants them to be here, so they're only here because someone asked. That's, I understand that. That happens. Um, maybe you're here because someone forced you to be here. Maybe. Or maybe, and I think the majority of people actually, actually fall in this category, you're here to, to learn about Scripture. And, and why do we learn about Scripture? It's, it's to be quite clear. The Scripture in God's Word is supposed to make us more like God. We want to be more Christ-like. So when we study Scripture, we're, we're not doing it because we have 30 minutes to kill. We're doing it because we want to be more Christ-like. And if you fall into that category where you say, I'm at church because I want to be more Christ-like, this passage here, oh, brothers and sisters, this is talking to you. This is, this is 100% to you. When it says God looks not on his, his outward appearance, but what's on the inside, if you believe that, that you want to be more Christ-like, this, this passage needs to, it, it needs to echo in who you are. And what that is is simply looking for potential. And it's not, not potential to be a good person. Saul, I, I believe Saul was a great person. It's not potential to, to who's going to excel and, and who's going to be the best. It, it's simply looking for potential in God's kingdom. And I'm going to tell you right now, family, as a church, our biggest goal needs to be looking around for people that have potential in God's kingdom. Not for who's the best, smartest, fastest, best looking, tallest, whatever category you want to put in. We need to be looking at people for who has the most godly potential. And, and I, say that with, I say that with a clear understanding. Saying we're looking for people with godly potential doesn't mean that we have to do things that are unwise. For instance... If, if you went to jail and you went to jail for five or ten years because you were embezzling funds out of a corporation, I wouldn't say, hey, you're a really good candidate to uh, be our treasurer. That, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't mean that we have to look at people for godly potential and, and completely do things that are, are not wise. I believe that we still look at people with godly potential and still be wise. For instance, some of you were here, it was about a year ago, there was a man in our parking lot and, and he was asking for handouts and he was trapping people before they can get in their car. And he was saying, hey, I need money. And I went over to this, this large fellow and I said, brother, you, you can't you can't ask for money in, in this parking lot. You just can't do it. Come in, we'll, we'll give you a food bag, we'll take care of you. And then he threatened me with physical violence. And I just stepped back. I'm like, whoa, we're gonna get someone else to handle this. And we stepped back and someone else did handle it. If that individual came to church, I wouldn't look at him and say, you can't come in our service. I would say, you're welcome to be in here, but I'm gonna do it because I think you have godly potential, but I wanna be wise about it. I'm, I'm not gonna turn my back on you. I don't want you to injure me. I'm gonna be very safe with you. And that's what we do with, with everyone. We look at them and, and we don't have to necessarily say all of your, your past flaws or, or mess ups, it's completely gone. We don't, we don't do that. We can look at people and say, even though you've messed up, I, I know you have potential in, in God. 
And that means pursuing people, not based on what we see, but based on what's on the inside. And the only way to do that, family, the only way to really do that is spend time together and get to know each other so we can see the inside. I'll share share this quick story with you. And uh, I I say it really hesitant, and I I wish there was a way I could change my phrasing because it makes me really self-conscious, and it makes me feel extremely old. And I really wish there was a way I can phrase this without saying how old I am, but it it is what it is. So I, I... It's weird to me to think that I have been doing work with people so long that some of the kids that I had first worked with now have kids of their own. And that's really bizarre to me to to think that I've been in this for such a long time that that they have kids of their own and and sometimes their kids actually come in our program. It's a really bizarre feeling to see kids I was with no longer kids and now I'm with their kids. It's bizarre, but but that's besides the point. So there there was a time... And I had some, I had some really, I had some really, let me say lovingly awful kids. They were just, they were just awful. I mean, they were, they were awful. And they would do some of the most awful things. And I would always get these phone calls. The leadership's like, Jerry, you gotta, you gotta do something about this. This, this is wild. And I didn't know what to do. And, and I was young and not, not very smart. And so my, my opinion was when I was young and not very smart, I thought I could make everyone happy. You can't make everyone happy. It's impossible. So I tried, and so people would complain to me, and I would giggle, and I would change the subject. I'm like, how's that Illini game going? And it would change the subject just to save it. But these kids were awful, so awful that I remember, I remember one Sunday, one of the little kids, he looked at me, and he said, high school kid just hit me with a water balloon. Why do I smell like dill pickles? <laughs> and I... I'm going to be honest, I never went to Bible college and heard my professor teach me how do you tell high school boys that you can't fill water balloons with dill pickle juice and mayonnaise. I, I never went to that class, and I, I didn't even know how to address this. Hey, you can't hit little kids with a balloon full of mayonnaise. Uh, that was all new to me. And so I used to get all these phone calls, and, and people were like, Jerry, you got to kick these kids out. you got to kick these kids out. And I, I was, just, I was just trying to make it one more week. That was my whole goal. Hey, just one more Sunday. Just one more Sunday. We'll just get one more Sunday. And it's weird to think that now it was, it was those boys that were so obnoxious that I thought were, were literally going to tear the church down. There was some moments that we had construction come in because of them. And it's weird to think that some of those boys, they're now part of the church leadership in the very church that those men said, Jerry, I don't know if we can handle this much longer. And it's really weird that one of the, one of the young men actually called me a few weeks ago and they said, what do I do? The, the church leadership is almost begging me to be on their financial planning committee because they want to build a new building and they want me to be part of this group to help find money. And I giggled to myself. But what's really weird to me, and this is, this is unusual, it was these boys that were doing these really unusual things. It's, it's boys and girls, to be honest. And when, when my wife posted pictures of me falling down at speed and hitting my head, it was, it was a lot of these young men at that, at that place and a lot of these young ladies that called me and said, hey, what can I do to help? And they say, we got some vacation time. And especially because it's tractor related. And so these are all, these are all farm people. And so when they said, you, you fell messing with the tractor, they, they thought it was, it was about crops and I was trying to get either planting done or, or something going. And they said, we've got vacation time. I'll, I'll come out. Just tell me what you need. And I thought to myself, where were you 20 years ago? 
And so that's part of the reason I, I struggle because oftentimes we, we only see bits and pieces of people and it's really hard to dig in deep and see this passage here in 1 first, in first Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. What that is, is that's all about potential. He's saying God sees the potential in people. Not what you see, but what I see. And I believe the only way we see that is we, we stay deep in scriptures so that we become more Christ-like and we spend time with one another. And as our, as our band comes up, I'm gonna tell you right now, I am, I am really glad that Jesus Christ has seen potential in people. And if you're not sure if, if Jesus has seen potential in you, I'm gonna throw this out here, and you might know this already, but if you don't, this is a, a reminder, and the same thing goes for you online. Jesus saw enough potential in you to give his life on that cross. He saw enough in you to make you valuable enough to say, I'm, I'm gonna give my life up for you because I, I see this potential of what you have to do, and man, that is, I'll tell you what, that, that makes me feel kind of warm and fuzzy sometimes. So if you want to make a decision for Jesus, I say come on down. If you're watching online, hey, get a hold of the church. We'll, we'll make something happen. If you're having a rough week, you, you feel like everyone's coming down on you, hey, we'll pray with you. Um, if you're online or you're on just sitting here, if you want a prayer request, put that in your connection card. Uh, mark it confidential if you want it to be confidential. Uh, if you like First Christian, you're a baptized believer, you want to be part of this family, uh, we'll welcome you. Let's stand as we get ready to sing.
Most of you know, but I'm going to remind you, I'll tell you something that amuses me to no end. The church is used for more things than just Sunday morning worship. Uh, The the kids will come in here, play games. We have weddings in here. We have all these events. I'm going to tell you something really unusual that's always stuck stuck out to me. Almost any time we have a group come in, and sometimes they're not... I don't want to use the word churchy people, but they're not, they're not super churched. So I'll have to remind them. I'll, I'll say things like, like hey, don't, don't mess with the sound booth. And if they're younger, I'll say things like, don't go in there and touch that copy machine. That copy machine is probably worth more than my life. So just, just don't even look at it. And then I'll say, hey, don't come up here on stage. Don't touch any of the instruments. And I, I give them all these rules. But you know what's, what's really unusual is, is all these rules and guidelines. There's something unusual about this table. And so when we, we come to, to church and we're doing these activities and these, these events, I have, in all my years, I've never had to say, hey, be nice to this table. I've never had to say, hey, get off that table. Don't, don't jump on it. And it, there's not a real explanation besides the fact that I think people come in our, our building. And it's not that the, this table is special. It's what is on top of the table. And I think people recognize that from afar, that, that they know that it's not necessarily just a, a wood table. The wood's not not holy. It's not something that's been blessed. It's just very simply a, a table that we use to hold communion. I think people see that from afar, and they automatically have some respect for it just because of how important it is. And so as, a, as we bow and pray, I hope that we, as, as church people, don't ever look at what's on this table and forget what it signifies to us. It's not some juice. It's not some cracker. It's not, not a little bit of snack time. It's not a time to get up and stretch our legs a little bit, but what this is is a moment that Jesus set aside and said, do this in remembrance of me. So let's bow and pray. Lord, thank you for loving us. Uh, thank you for these people. Thank you for this family. Uh, Lord, I ask you to allow us to be the people that you want us to be. Uh, allow our, our hearts and our actions and our minds uh, to represent you. Uh, Lord, I ask you to help us uh, be an influence to people around us so that they can see that there is, there is something about us and, and what it is is we love you. God, thank you for this and thank you for setting something aside so that we remember how much you love us. Jesus, I pray. Amen.
on the inside of your bulletin. We have our announcements for this week. Uh, Jerry has all of his groups this evening. Uh, Jules has her LOL group on Tuesday. Um, Lori's and Lori and all the other folks are having we're having all of our Bible studies on Wednesday. Medical team is meeting on Saturday. Our narrow path is getting ready on March 9th to go on our next trip. We're going on the Mexican border trail, but we're going to go to the Velvet Elvis for lunch. So please sign up so that we can because we have to make reservations because they got mad at me last time when we just did it last minute. So we're going to make reservations for that. So if you'd like to come, it's a very easy drive. So if so if you have a Barbie truck. It won't get scratched up. You know, it'll be fine on the trail. Um, we have um, Operation Christmas Child's looking for items. You can see that in the bulletin along with Peach's Pantry. And if you're interested in being part of a Core 52 group, get a hold of Dale. Contact information's in the bulletin. He would like to get a group together for that. So this is the, our last week of Faith Promise. What our faith promise is, is it's, we ask people, because we don't go to the congregation every other month or every week and say, hey, we need money for this, we need money for that. Congregation is very generous, but the way we fund our missions program is through Faith Promise, and we ask that people make a, will be willing to make donations above and beyond what they normally give to help support missions. So far, we've had 28 pledges for almost $24,000, so that's been really good, very generous. This week, in our last week of Faith Promise, where I'm going to show you a video from TCMI. It's one of the missions that we support, and they are a great mission, by the way, as all as all are all the others that we support. When I was a little boy, uh, every summer my dad would leave our home in Missouri and spend three weeks sneaking into and out of the communist countries of Eastern Europe. They brought all of TCM, all of us, into their networks in order to do something new. Because of the Marxist ideologies that govern those countries, it was illegal to be a Christian, it was illegal to start a church. So my dad spent part of his summer training and encouraging the pastors who led those underground movements. And that's something new was together to figure out how do you develop disciple makers with graduate education attached to it that can be accredited. This is a pretty tall order. When I was a freshman in high school, I had the privilege of traveling to Vienna to see the work of TCM firsthand. And I was absolutely blown away by the faith of those church leaders and the vision and passion of the staff at TCM to educate and equip them. But because this was their mission, it became our mission as well. And so God opened just amazing doors over, over these last couple of decades, taking us places we never thought we would be going. And having seen a lot of different ministries around the world, I can't think of any and have been as effective for as long as TCM has. It's the Great Commission, but really built on the foundation of the Great Commandment. And that's powerful. And I hope it's still around for my kids to be a part of, because I know there will be thousands of people in heaven for multiple generations that will be able to trace their faith heritage back to the dynamic ministry of TCM. That's, uh, that's TCMI. TCMI. Uh, we are so thankful to be a part of what they do. Now, today I'm getting ready to. I'm going to show you the uh, memory verse video. 
And uh, so when you leave here, you should be able to have it memorized. You won't have to put a lot of work in this week. So here we go. Core verse number seven, 1 Samuel 16, 7. And this is a, a, a conversation or a command that the Lord gives to Samuel as he's anointing David. He says, do not look on his appearance. Repeat that again. Do not look on his appearance. 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 Or the height of his stature. So this, 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 this. Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature. Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature. Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature. Say it without saying it. Got it? Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature. Why? Why? Because I have rejected him. Because I have rejected him. I have rejected him. I have rejected him. I have rejected him. Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature because I have rejected him. 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 For the Lord sees... Not as man sees, and I'm going to use both hands. The Lord sees, this is the right hand for the Lord, left hand for man. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. And when I quote it publicly, I wouldn't, you know, do all this. I would probably just do something like this. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Do you remember the first line? Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature. Because I have rejected him. Because I have rejected him. Because I have rejected him. Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature. Because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. How does man see? Man looks, again, left hand. Man looks on the, on the outward appearance. Man looks on the outward appearance. But the Lord looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Let's put it all together. Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Try it one more time. Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature. Because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. A man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7. I have to say as a man who's not a lot of stature and who doesn't have a lot to look at, I love this passage. It's a great one. Because, you know, it said the Lord rejected that tall, good-looking guy. But anyway, um... So make sure you take your bulletin home this week, and, uh, and uh, that way you know what's happening. It amazes me, folks. I didn't know something was happening. Church calendar, bulletin, pulpit, emails. If you don't know what's happening here, you're not paying attention. That's all i got to say. Anyway, on the back of our bulletins also we have our prayer requests. Of course, our praise is we had received really, really great pledges for faith promise. Um, we have, we've been praying for a lot of things, uh, praying for our nation. As you know, we're getting ready to go to an election cycle. 
So make sure, first of all, that you vote, and second of all, make sure that D, R, I, or whatever letter you want to behind it doesn't matter. Try to pick the people that, that are going to reflect God as best as possible in his ways. That's, that's all we can do. Um, we have a lot of people we've been praying for with health issues, people that are recovering, going through surgeries. We also want you to be in prayer for Lori's Jacob's family. Lori, Lori lost her son. Her son passed away on Friday, and he left a family with young children. And so please uh, keep them in your prayers right now as Lori has to deal with that and, and mourn the loss of her son. We have troops we've been praying for that are deployed. Keep them in your prayers. We also want to be in prayer for our shut-ins. We're focusing on, on Peach's Pantry, one of the outreaches that we focus this month, and TCMI is the mission. So keep those things in your prayer, in your hearts, and be in prayer. Just, just keep, them, keep them going all week long. At this time, let's stand together. I'll lead us in a closing prayer, and our band will lead us out with a song. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for the opportunity we have to be here to hear your word proclaimed this morning. And Father, I pray that we take that word to heart, that we realize it wasn't just written about Samuel and later David, but it was written to us. And I pray that we just listen. Father, we pray you be with Lori and her family as they mourn the passing of her son. Bring them peace and comfort during this most difficult time. Father, I pray that as we leave this place, that we leave so with conviction and courage, and that we're willing to not only share Jesus, but show Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.